Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. I am obsessed with Ultimate Girls Trip. How are we ever going to watch or get excited about anything else ever again when the season is over? Well, I was about to say to you, I know that LA Times bomb of an article on Randall Emmett just dropped and also the Summer House cast shakeup. But please, can we talk about that after we talk about Girls Trip? Yeah, I can't even wait another second. I love this show so deeply and so with every bone of my body. It is the it's the best thing ever, right? Like that is a universally accepted truth that this is the best thing we've ever gotten. I hands down think it's the best Bravo show we've gotten minimally in the last three years. Easy. I mean, there is so much here. And I will say, though, it feels a little less overwhelming this week because last week we were doing three episodes, whereas this was just one. So we can really focus in. Agree. But it was a good, good episode. Like this is, I think, better than even the first three. It's just getting better as we go along. Well, they're getting more comfortable with one another. So they know each other's personalities better. And also they're feeling, you know, more comfortable to kind of call each other out on shit. I really want everyone's opinion on the Bluestone Manor verse being like in a Turks and Caicos villa thing, because I am so team Bluestone Manor for this kind of thing. I don't know who else's house or anything we would use because I think it does need to be like a quote vacation home and not just someone's actual home. But to me, that is what makes this what it is. Having the hierarchy of it being Dorinda's house, enforcing the rules. I mean, especially in this episode, we see that being all just together and not just at a hotel, everything about it makes it really feel like, oh, they're on like a bachelor party or this is a girl's weekend away versus a bunch of housewives are staying in the same hotel resort. I would just watch this same cast at Blue Stone Manor for every season going forward. Like make this the show. 
I know, except for they're never going back. I mean, here's my thing <laughs> in response to what you in in response to what you just said. As the viewer, I agree with you. I love watching them there, but I think that if I was an ex housewife being asked to be on it, I would so significantly prefer being in a Turks and Caicos because specifically with someone like Dorinda, I think the hierarchy makes it very difficult. You never are going to feel like you're on leveled ground. I know, but that's why this is like such a good season. That's why this is gold. Let's get into it because that is like the honest theme of this episode is it's Dorinda's house and you have to abide by Dorinda's rules. I mean, Dorinda was just so mean to Tamara, like so unnecessarily mean to the point where as I was watching it, I just felt for Tamara. And I know she historically can be very biting, but but Dorinda flips a switch and automatically goes into a zone that I would imagine is terrifying to be on the receiving end of. You know, it's funny because I always think of Dorinda really only going to that place when she's been drinking. So for it to be first thing in the morning, she's about to do aerobics, which is like her favorite activity. And something just came over her. And it's funny because I, I obviously agree with Tamara. I think it's not your best friend. It's you're learning the house rules and you don't need to be so like talked down to. It was so patronizing and just awful the way Dorinda was speaking to her and going to get the plaque of rules to make sure she saw it instead of just a gentle reminder. But I will say my tiny, tiny piece of empathy for Dorinda as someone who is very, very protective over my house, my space, my furniture, like keeping things super clean. I understand that anxiety and just overwhelming feeling when somebody comes and is not sort of treating your house the way you want it to be treated. And I think for Dorinda, it's just in overdrive because the home is so sentimental, meaningful to her. She cares so much about it. And I think there's so much going on. It has nothing to do with Tamara eating the cupcake in the room. It's that there's probably 600 people in and out production, cooks, cleaning, decorators doing the tablescapes and everything that is going on that we are not even seeing is probably so overwhelming and all she wants is everyone to just follow the rules. But again, it's all about her delivery and she just has no chill. And it's like we are really seeing both sides of Dorinda again where she's one person one moment and another the next. And then it's like I feel like these two people wouldn't even get along. And then you realize they're both Dorinda. No, Isabel, I'm sorry. I thought this whole thing was inexcusable. I get it. It's her home. It's a little bit overwhelming. I'm not saying I wouldn't feel overwhelmed as well. But you knew what you signed up for when you signed up for it. You voluntarily joined on for this experience. It's such a big deal for you to have your house shown in this way. And I think there's a way to gently remind people and to still maintain and respect your boundaries without literally making someone feel like they are a terrible person just for existing. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is I think when you're talking to someone, you have to be really conscious of like, what can they do in the moment to fix the problem? And there was nothing Tamara could do in that moment to make it better. And Dorinda just kept hammering at her. What is she supposed to say other than I'm sorry and we got it? Like, it's not like she could literally reverse time and take the cupcake out of her mouth. Like, And, and that's almost what Dorinda wanted her to do. And by the way, because I know you personally, and I understand you can be protective of your stuff, on your worst day, if someone came in and their toddler started painting crayon on the walls of your kitchen, you would never make someone feel so uncomfortable in your home. I, I, you would never do that. It's a, You don't do this. If you are a normal person, you are never that mean to someone in your home. It's like I was cringing watching this. And can I tell you what it reminded me of? What? 
Do you remember, I guess it was season 12, Dorinda's last season, I think it was part two of the reunion, when she was being so mean to Tinsley to the point where we were like, all right, this has gone a little bit too far. Like, what is going to happen here? That was the energy that I felt when I was watching this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, her meanness really came out again later with Jill. We'll see it. It's just who she is. And I just feel like sometimes it's really entertaining. But then also sometimes when it's someone like Tamara who we feel really protective of and it's over something so small, it's just unnecessary. It's like, why are you getting to a level 10 about a level two issue? And she has no ability to sort of have distinction between things that are really important and worth yelling about, fine. Like, get heated about the vaccines. Get heated about talking about Richard or whatever, like things that are really important to you. But about the cupcake in the room and them saying, okay, we got it. We won't do it again. It it felt like, why are you getting to this level? And it wasn't even from the drinking. I mean, maybe she was drinking. It seemed like she wasn't, but we've always blinded on that. And I don't know. This just felt like, oh, old Dorinda's here and she's like ready to clip. But the other thing is that Tamara is not this girl. Tamara is not someone that breaks down like this. So to me, it wasn't like, you know, her reaction was kind of overdramatic to seal her point. And she didn't want to cry. No part of her ever expected that she was going to get to that point. I think she was just so thrown off that she was being treated. I was about to say like a child, but you would never talk to a child like that. I mean, she was treated like the, the dirt on the bottom of someone's shoe. And I think... Sorry, I I like cannot believe how passionate I was getting about this while I was watching it because I was really trying to envision how <laughs> seriously like think about how frustrated you would feel if you're in someone's home and you can't escape. Like okay, remember in the last season of Jersey when Teresa was so pissed and she was like fuck it, I'm leaving this house and her and Louie got a hotel? Yes. They can't do that here. Part of the magic of the show is that they're staying at Bluestone Manor. Like, you you can't just leave. And so she's trapped. So basically, Tamara is like, I am trapped in this house by this woman who is behaving like a dictator. I, I'm, by the way, I didn't even eat this on my own accord. The person that you hired to run the house brought it for me. And somehow, Vicky is completely removed from the equation. I'm sorry. I thought this was so out of line. And then they come back and it really turns out that all of the women have been eating in the room. She left fucking cupcakes in the room as part of the gift. Like, what are they supposed to know that they have to bring them downstairs now? And it was just for the aesthetic. It's so ridiculous. And it was such a random thing for her to start harping on. And I don't know. But it, it really set the tone sort of for like the rest of the episode and where now everybody stands. And also bringing to light more of Vicky and Tamara seeming like they're a duo and also Dorinda having this temper. I I was not expecting her to be so temperamental in this way because I did feel she would feel that she's the host and she has to kind of turn it down a little bit. She that doesn't exist for her. That's what I'm saying. She's so unaware of making people feel comfortable or uncomfortable in her home. It's like it completely goes out the window, but it's so crazy because you're right. She has that other side to her that is so welcoming. Like the way that she was when they all first arrived and she's showing Eva, I give you this room because I thought it would be good for recording. And she's being so maternal to Brandy. She has that side. It really does exist, but it's like she just flips a switch and it goes off. And I I felt like, I mean, I know we're kind of going all over the place. It's not really in order, but throughout the episode, I felt like Jill was almost trying to bring some humanity or empathy or compassion back into Dorinda, like even when they're at the tea party and she's like, hey, I feel like Tamara could use a hug. You know, she just had that intuitive feeling, which she really did need that. But even later on, 
Dorinda's down her throat. And you see in that moment, if somebody is crying about something that's so insignificant in the scheme of things, wouldn't your natural inclination be like, you know what? I clearly just made them feel so bad. I did not mean to. This is not a big deal. Let's squash it. No, she hammers down. She kicks you when you're down. Yeah, she does have an amazing ability to sort of flip the switch and make it like you're disrespecting my home. Like I just want everyone to follow the rules. And it it was really, really a 180 there. She, Jill is literally she's escaping to the confessional booth to cry. Dorinda's following her into the booth and then yelling at her for crying to Phaedra. <laughs> like, if I, I would be like, get me the fuck out of this woman's house. Watching them all in that confessional booth was absolutely insane. It was incredible. The fact that they all went in there and then they're duking it out on camera, sitting on this little love seat, like recording it and Jill's hands are buried in her head and Phaedra's trying to calm her down. Eva's trying to sort of be the mediator and explain why they're both sad. I mean, I think to me, one of the most interesting parts of this episode and what made it really unique was sort of digging a little deeper into Jill and Dorinda's history and why Jill kind of has a bad taste in her mouth for Dorinda and sort of why Dorinda maybe all these years hasn't been cozying up to Jill or maybe she just doesn't like her, doesn't think she's a good person, doesn't feel she's supportive like she kept repeating. So to know those dynamics, which we really didn't know before, all we knew is that Jill had had her on one episode really early on Housewives where she was invited to an event And then all of a sudden, years later, when Jill's off the show, Dorinda went back on. Knowing this now, it's like, oh, my God, there are layers to all of this. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious where you stand on this and what you guys thought, because to me, I'm not saying Jill has to be your cup of tea, but I do trust her perception of the situation. And when she was sitting there with Taylor, to me, it didn't feel manipulative or like she was trying to get Taylor to side with her. I didn't feel that way at all. I felt that she was just giving in her mind, what was a really authentic recounting of their history together. It was Zorinda that then kind of turned it around when they were in that confessional booth. But to me, it got me thinking like, you know what? I think I'm seeing things through Jill's lens a little bit here. And I think I believe what I'm seeing. Where where did you stand on that? It's hard because I feel like we're dealing with two narrators that are like so close to being trustworthy, but then they really have something that sort of steers left. So I really take both with a grain of salt, but I also think that they are, if we were ever ranking like a narrator or a person who we would trust to tell their perspective, I think they both rank pretty high. And I think Jill does too. But again, Jill is very sensitive and also has her own spin on things and a little bit of like a self-centered view which is not a bad thing. It's just her personality. So I don't know what to believe, but I just feel like Jill wouldn't manipulate the narrative that much. And probably just like, that's kind of what happened. We never really loved each other. I never felt like this from her. She never called me back. And here we are. So I'm trying to start over, but look where we ended up. Right. And I guess I feel like the conversation that Jill had with Taylor at the pool would have stayed as an isolated incident if there wasn't that whole thing after the pajama party. Because the only reason Jill started to say to Phaedra about how she felt Dorinda hadn't been supportive over the years is because she was so triggered and upset by what just took place at the pajama party with the whole Eva thing. You know, like, I don't think Jill was marinating on how she was going to get this point across. I genuinely think if nothing went down at the pajama party, she would have never said a word about it. Maybe Taylor would have drunkenly brought it up and it would have been a plot line, but I don't think Jill would have ever felt the need or the desire to say that. I I think what we were seeing from Jill's Aaron was like somebody who was genuinely really hurt. The issue is that, and, and this so was not Phaedra's fault at all. She just came into a bad situation and was trying to handle it. But when Dorinda walked into the confessional booth, Phaedra then saying that 
turned it into a bigger issue and Dorinda felt like she had more of a leg to stand on because she was like, oh shit, now Jill's attacking my character instead of just making it an isolated incident, which was, yeah, Dorinda came down way too hard on her for a thirsty yet innocent comment about Eva's radio show. Right. It was like all of a sudden, fine, you want to throw a punch at me? I'm going to rebring everything that I have inside of me to the surface when it probably wasn't there, but it, she, it, it poked the bear. It like awoke something inside of her. And I, I don't know. I just think it, you're right. It easily could have been brushed off it, by no fault of Jill's. You're right. It was unintentionally Phaedra's fault. It could have just been brushed off as like this silly tiff and Dorinda being like, I'm sorry, you were just annoying me. And Jill being like, I'm sorry, I just felt, you know, I'm sensitive. But it actually got into like way deeper issues about their characters and their relationships. Right. Which maybe was a conversation that was going to happen anyway, but it shouldn't have happened at midnight after they were drunk from bourbon. You know what I mean? Like if there was ever any potential that that was going to go well, which I actually don't think there was because I agree with Vicky, you can't win in a fight with Dorinda, nor do you want to because you get so broken down that it just feels like at this point, like why am I just hurting myself to try to get mm-hmm. a word in? I-, I think the best bet they had would be like an 11 p.m. sitting in the backyard, just the two of them fully sober. Like maybe we have a shot. It definitely wasn't happening in that confessional booth. And then when Jill wants to remove herself like this, okay, here's my thing, right? Jill is like, you know what? I got to go to sleep. I am done from this. I'm not even going to fight with you. She's walking away crying. And Dorinda is walking down the hallway, yelling at her, telling her she's so weak. And like, to me, that's the true Dorinda coming out. And I hate saying it. It makes me so sad because I like her. I was rooting for her so badly to be back on New York. I think she's excellent on TV, but that mean streak is really hard to come back from, like for me at least, in terms of me trying to connect with her. Right. And it's always there. It's always buried there and you don't know if it'll come out or not. And I feel like that unpredictability is just really, really scary. Right. And I think that if you are really good friends with her, she probably is a really good friend. I could see her going above and beyond. I just think you have to really weigh that. Like, is the risk worth the reward? Because not feeling like you're ever on solid footing with someone is a really scary and kind of unsettling feeling. It is. It's so unsettling, especially for these women who they're only in the beginning phases of getting to know each other or warming up to each other. It's not like Jill and Dorinda are old friends and she knows her patterns and her ways. This is probably really shocking. Oh, totally. And I actually want to go back to the Dorinda, Tamara, Vicky thing at the tea party. Yes, let's go back to that. Okay, so we already hammered down the kitchen situation, but when they're sitting there and Dorinda's now coming for Vicky for not being able to separate from Tamara, I want to hear your take on that before I give mine. I feel like it was like no shit. Like, why are we even beating this dead horse? This is old fucking news. They obviously came in as a duo. They're staying in the same room. They're going to have each other's backs. That's very much Vicky's personality. That's very much Tamara's personality. I understand it's frustrating for all the other women who are making a huge effort and trying to really integrate themselves as a group. But I also think it's a very unique dynamic where Vicky and Tamara are the only two women from their own like cities that are best, best friends in that way. Like Phaedra and Eva are very close. Then we have Brandy and Taylor. They fucking hate each other. Dorinda and Jill, they don't love each other. You know, like we're not dealing with like a bunch of twosome friends. Almost honestly, even last season, we had like a lot of groupings because it was just more the vibe. Whereas here, it's not at all. So they stick out a little bit more. But I almost felt like, okay, you guys, like this is old news already. (laughs) Like, I don't know what they expected. 
First of all, totally. But second of all, the issue that Dorinda had with Tamar was one that directly involved Vicky. She just somehow was absolving Vicky of the responsibility. And then Vicky's like, I was the one that ate the yogurt. So if you really are saying that your fight is about eating, I ate in bed. Of course, I'm going to feel a little bit involved in this fight. It was like I ate in bed. (laughs) Like... I don't know. Listen, I know Vicky is not necessarily the most trustworthy narrator. And in a lot of situations, I think she is so objectively wrong. But I totally understood, one, she was actually involved in the very thing that Dorinda was accusing Tamara of. But also, if I was standing there and my friend was being spoken to in the way that Dorinda was speaking to Tamara, I don't think I would be able to bite my tongue. I think I would be like, who do you think you are disrespecting like a fellow human being in this way? (laughs) Just a fellow human being. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I thought it was inhumane. Maybe I'm just being dramatic. I totally could be. I just feel like we've watched a lot of Housewives. We've seen a lot of shit. People are really mean and really brutal a lot of the time. Something with Dorinda feels like it's, it's taken up a notch, but maybe I'm just sensitive to it. No, I agree. But I also think it's just when you also are able to so quickly contrast it with who she is when she's not in that dark place. It's like, wait, what? Like, how are you the same person? And that's what makes it even more like whiplash. Oh, for sure. I think that the issue is that the mean streaks are happening more frequently. So I'm starting to lose sight of the other side of her, which I don't want to. I I promise you I'm trying to hold on to that. But wait, I want to go to the Brandy and Eva thing for a second, because remember last episode, we were like, if I'm Brandy, I'm waking up the next morning and I'm like, God, why did I do that? Specifically with Eva. Like, she's just not the one that I want to have an issue with. That's basically what she said to her the first scene of this episode when she's like, you're the last person I want to have something with. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're my favorite person in the house. I mean, there's nothing better than an opening sequence of an episode showing Brandon Glanville sending a text that said, hey, sorry I called your husband a mangina. <laughs> but yeah, I think she kind of realized, fuck, I really fucked up here. I want to keep my relationship good with Eva. And this was not a comment that I want to like dissolve our alliance over. It was so stupid. And Eva, because she's so cool and chill, was able to sort of move past it and also be like, okay, I guess this is just the Brandy train. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. (laughs) 
Yeah. And on that same note, last week when we were telling people like send in your favorite moments that we forgot to mention, because obviously there were so many, there was no way we were going to hit them all. So many people said Eva smoking, like it's kind of, it's not something we see a lot. I obviously wish we saw more of it. As you guys know, we're big weed enthusiasts. And even throughout this conversation with Brandy, obviously Eva smoking a joint. And to me, I'm like, that's her secret. That's the reason that she's been able to maintain her calm around such fucking craziness. You guys were really cracking me up with these submissions, even though I watched the episodes. I mean, I'd say 95% of them were Phaedra centric, but everything that you guys picked up on funny moments, little even looks like something from the coffee reader to the producers. Hilarious. My one of my favorite Phaedra moments this episode was when <laughs> when they knock over the woman with the flowers, like the mannequin in the back. And Phaedra looks at it and goes, Oh no, she's decapitated. That's a special procedure for me. <laughs> she was so funny. And then in the moment when her son calls and he's like, Why am I getting my phone taken away? And immediately she kind of goes into mom mode. Yeah. I was thinking, like, these kids are too young to really get it, but in a few years, they are gonna see how iconic their mother is. That's like Aiden, I don't know how to tell you this, but your mom is fucking hilarious. Right, but you're the son of a legend. Right. Like, don't yeah. talk back to her because you don't yeah, even yeah. know. You do not even know. I know, I know. God, it was so good. When they're wait. <laughs> There's so many moments. I'm like getting overwhelmed when they're drinking the bourbon at the dinner and then Marco comes out. I thought I was no. gonna, I thought I was going to plot. When they're dancing with the burlesque dancer and Taylor's like dancing with him and they rip his shirt off. Hold on. Speaking of Taylor, the fact that however many years later we get a recreation of Kennedy's $50,000 <gasps> tea party. Iconic. Like that is crazy. And also for Taylor, I'm sure – what a moment. You know, she's in such a different place in her life right now. And she's just looking back on that. I'm sure for her, it really does feel like it was another life that she was living. And how funny that that has become synonymous with her time on Housewives and being so iconic and everybody talking about it. And now I feel like the birthday parties are more and more extravagant. We see so many of these crazy parties, but at the time it was revolutionary. Like that got people buzzing. Well, that's what I was going to say when she's explaining to this group, you know, $50,000 for a child's birthday party at the time, it was a big deal. Now it's run of the mill for Beverly Hills. Of course, to your average person, that's still a ridiculous amount of money. But like I was thinking about it in a way we have all become slightly jaded because of things like the Kardashians and, and these other parties that we see. But for her day, I mean, she was ahead of her time. Yeah, for sure. I know we're jumping all over the place, but I want to go back for one second to the tea party conversation when it was Dorinda, Tamara, and Vicky. Can we go do that for a second? Sure. <laughs> okay. So to me, Eva is like the most level-headed of the group. I think that she's probably the person I would want to mediate a conflict if I was having one with one of the other women there. And I was so frustrated for her behalf that she hadn't seen the footage of the fight that went down in the kitchen that morning. Because when she's sitting there and she's like kind of having an issue with Vicky, which she's warranted in. I mean, I, I understand that Vicky's kind of been behaving like an asshole the whole trip. I wanted to say to her, I promise you, if you watch what went down in that kitchen, you would not be siding with Dorinda right now. I know because it's so hard when you haven't seen it. Immediately, my instinct would probably be to go with Dorinda, even though it's like, worse and worse here. Like no one's right, no one's wrong almost. I think judging on solely what I'd seen through this week, I would believe Dorinda over Vicky and think Vicky's either being dramatic or making something up, whatever. But in actuality, that wasn't the case. I fucking wish that we had a reunion for this. 
I know. I was thinking that. I actually thought, though, because the fourth wall has been so broken. I mean, there's literally not a fourth wall. It doesn't even exist. I thought that Tamara was going to look at the camera during that moment and be like, Eva will be regretting this once she sees the footage. Like, I thought she was going to look at the camera and be like, roll the tape. Imagine. I know. That's why you dream. I wish for their sake that they could do it so badly because it must suck to have to wait like six months to feel vindicated. Right. I know. Especially on this kind of thing where they actually probably could get away with it. But I wish in Real Housewives when there's a time when there's such a big argument about, I said that, you didn't say that. I said that, you didn't say that. They could literally look at the camera and be like, I didn't say that, right? Like, we're going to see it. So that's always what's the most frustrating to me is when we spend a whole season going back and forth about what was said or not said. And it's like, we all are in on the fact that we have the proof and we have the evidence and we're all going to find out the evidence. I... I think I said this a long time ago, but it's something I think about all the time. I don't think I could ever be a housewife because I would be constantly asking the producers if I could see footage and like it, mm-hmm. if I could hear what I said or hear what someone else said or like clarify something. And it's like, you can't. I think that must be like a hard rule is that you can't do that. <laughs> My reason for that is because I'd want to see the footage to make sure they weren't filming me from like a bad angle. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> This really just was the best hour of my week. Like I am nothing but overjoyed when I think about the show and I am so grateful it exists. I'm so grateful to have Brandy in such a small capacity. I just, I never want it to end and I, 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 I cannot believe we are blessed with this content. I really can't. I really am living for it. Uh, just top to bottom top to fucking bottom. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about the Summer House and Randall Emmett, if that's okay with you. I would love nothing more. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I mean, it's been confirmed by people and also by Luke himself that he will not be returning to Summer House, but also apparently Andrea and Alex will not be back. Alex didn't feel like that much of a surprise, but I was shocked by Andrea. I really, really thought he was back. I love Andrea. I'm so upset. And I honestly thought Luke would be back too. And I feel like even though they're not bringing so much drama or even though they're not maybe hooking up with somebody else in the house, you needed to have just like normal grounding presence where it actually made it feel like it's a friend group and we're not watching Love Island or we're not watching Too Hot to Handle. That was what made this different was that there was difference of opinions. There were people who were single, people who were friends, guys, girls to hang out with each other. And I don't know. I love them. And I just am obsessed with Andrea. And I feel like Maybe he could have brought his girlfriend Lexi in. Maybe he could have left her at home. She could have visited. There's so many things here. I obviously don't know whose decision was what, but from Luke's, from what Luke has said, it kind of seems like he wanted to be back. But yeah, really I'm very surprised overall. And now this makes me curious of what they will end up doing and how it will be structured. Right. And for Andrea, this was his initial introduction to the show. So his role wasn't overly cemented. Whereas for Luke, I mean, we did an entire 180 from how he was perceived the previous season to last season. The previous season, he was the center of the drama with all that Hannah stuff. And then all of a sudden he comes on last season as a character that's kind of like man of the people and we're agreeing with him and he's this neutral presence that people can balance things off of. It's very similar to kind of the role that Maya had. She wasn't necessarily the center of the drama, but she was like a very rational, level-headed person that people could talk to and process things with. And you really, really need that. So I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, if they said they were getting rid of Maya, then we just riot all together. No, forget it. But Andrea, I really am upset about. 
I know. I wonder, there is a world in which it was his choice because he feels like it wouldn't be beneficial for his relationship. I'm not saying that's the case, but I don't think that's like off the table. No, but I'm sad either way. Okay, you guys, this morning, the LA Times drops this article about Randall Emmett titled, The Man Who Played Hollywood, Inside Randall Emmett's Crumbling Empire. It was by Amy Kaufman and Meg James. And I'm not going to even do the article a disservice by trying to recap it for you. It is very, very long, but I highly recommend reading the entire thing. We just run the gamut. It's inappropriate conduct with women, sketchy business deals, manipulation, toxic and hostile work environments, narcissism, erratic behavior, lying, cheating, fraud. I mean, you name it, Randall's being accused of it. And I got to tell you, every single thing here feels like it tracks. Oh, totally. I mean, this is the kind of expose that comes out and it's shocking to read, but I was not shocked. I'm like, oh, kind of feels like it was about time. It's pretty on par with everything we've heard Lala been saying for the last couple months saying it is really bad. He's not just a a cheating ex. Like there's a lot of shit going on in her life. And this, I think probably for her feels very, very validating and sort of as vindication for everything that she's been feeling while it sucks. I mean, this is the father of her child and someone she dedicated a lot of her life to. I think she probably feels a lot of mixed emotions, but this article is a fucking wild, wild ride. I think the thing about the article that felt so gratifying to read is that you weren't just hearing different traits of his personality. You were then getting these firsthand stories to kind of back it up. So for example, when his former assistant, I believe it was, is explaining how he got so pissed that he allegedly threw the ping pong paddle at the glass wall, the entire glass wall shatters, and she is the invoice of replacing the glass wall to show for. Like things like that were, oh my God, this was so when when he when that guy was talking about how he booked Randall and Lala at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And, you know, he was in charge of getting there early, setting up the flowers. And then I guess Randall allegedly didn't pay for it. And the guy had to put it on his credit card, but he didn't have the money in his debit account. So he's calling his mom at midnight to try to get the money. Like just what you were hearing, aside from any of the stuff with women and with serious, you know, business dealings, it's like the way in which he apparently treated his employees was just so disgusting to to read. Oh, it's out of control. And the detail in this article is just insane. I saw on Twitter, Amy Coffin, one of the two journalists who wrote the piece, wrote, for the past four months, Meg James and I immersed ourselves in the world of Randall Emmett. The journey of working on this investigation was unlike any experience I've ever had in journalism. She said, we reviewed thousands of emails, texts, contracts, and lawsuits involving a producer, et cetera, et cetera. But I just, hearing that from her perspective, because knowing how much detail and time and people they must have spoke to to get all of this was out out of control and incredible. Oh, and I can imagine how, from their perspective, how wild it was to get all these stories. Like they did a lot of talking to a lot of different people. And when you realize just how much this type of behavior really existed in every area of his life, it's highly alarming. I mean, I, I know what you're saying. Like, it's the father of her child. I'm sure this is not something Lala is thrilled with. At the same time, though, she got out at such a perfect time because any longer and she would have really been involved in, like they're calling it, the crumbling of his, quote, empire. So she, I think, removed herself early enough to the point where that association is fading day by day in terms of people thinking of him when they think of her. I will be very curious to see if on Vanderpump Rules, they are going to highlight this article and the things, or if she's just going to say, fuck him and move on. 
I, I could it could really go either way. It really could. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama, every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, co-insurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. I wish you could have seen my face when the two people that Sonia decides to consult about relationship slash marriage advice were Drew and Ralph. That is literally <laughs> like asking Brandy Glanville to give you advice on etiquette at a dinner party or something. When I was watching that scene, and I'm really curious your take on this, because as I'm watching Drew explain to her how, no, you just have to keep your husband happy and it's what your man wants. I had two sides of my reaction. The first was an overwhelming, honestly, sense of anger and frustration of like, no, we are not doing this anymore. This is an antiquated mindset you're having. What about the female empowerment? What about hearing your friend? Like that was definitely taking control. At the same time, I honestly felt a sense of sadness for Drew because clearly that is genuinely what she believes is the sole route in this situation. And I think as much as I was so frustrated that that's the message she was putting out, I was also like, damn, that sucks. That this is really what you think. Yeah, it felt like a little bit of insight into her thinking as she continues on in her relationship with Ralph. Don't you feel like that? Like almost like, oh, this is why you're still married to him. This is why you're able to put all of the bullshit and the way he treats you aside because this is what you feel like is your duty as a woman and also how you view marriage and relationships. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's the clearest picture as to how we got where we are. That's the same reason he's never had to answer to where he was in Tampa. I mean, these are all very clearly connecting the dots. It's just upsetting. And, you know, I have to say, obviously, me as a person, I fundamentally disagree with every single word that was coming out of Drew's mouth. However, I'll go as far as to say, if that's your opinion, fine, I'm not going to tell you to change it. I think objectively, the way she handled this that was really wrong was not even 
giving Sonia a second to be heard before even saying, wow, I'm really sorry that you're feeling like that. Or you know what? It's okay to feel overwhelmed and to not want another child. And then even if you wanted to make your point, but she didn't even take a beat to kind of hear her. It was immediately like, no, you got to please your man. And I think that was also another issue that was arising from watching this. Right. And I felt bad because I think Sonia in that moment is feeling really lost and vulnerable and sort of like a sponge where anyone's advice will really sway her decision or she'll really take it to heart. And it seems like she was coming to Drew as, I don't know, I guess like a voice of reason or a valuable opinion, which I'm not saying Drew doesn't have valuable opinions. And I think separate from marriage, she probably has great advice about being a mom, having multiple kids, like a hundred percent. But when it comes to the actual like marriage part, it just felt like, okay, literally just pick anyone else. Honestly, Kenya would probably give better advice than that. Well, the thing is when she's in the workout class and you hear her asking Ralph and they're both talking about being busy. And of course, Ralph's response is like, no, but you don't understand. We're really busy, right? Like this concept that he has that women just can never understand what men go through. So she has that in her mind, right? And then she goes and has the conversation with Drew. To me, if I'm Sonia and I'm curious what she'll say about this next week, if I walk away from that, I'm like, okay, I think my biggest takeaway from this whole situation is that I don't want any part of what you guys have going on here because no part of this feels healthy. I feel like I would ask Ralph for advice or Drew marriage advice just so I could say, okay, awesome. Thank you so much. I will be doing the polar opposite, you know? Right. Like sometimes when you ask like a friend or something who doesn't have the same taste as you and you always end up picking the opposite, it's such a telltale sign. Yeah. And this is the most prime example of this. I was really sad for Sonia here because I honestly just felt like she was so not heard by any single person. It was with the exception of her sister who really understood where she was coming from. I wouldn't say her husband was that receptive. Again, that's that was my same issue. The, the way that I felt Drew handled it and Ralph handled it, same thing with her husband. Even if his point of view is different. I still felt like no one took a beat to just hear her. And that is such a frustrating feeling. I mean, that's maddening. It's the shit that makes you go crazy because you just want someone to at least validate for a moment that what you're saying about literally having another child and feeling like you don't have the bandwidth to bring another child into the world or you don't want to for whatever reason, and that's not being heard. That's a shitty position no one should ever be in. Right. And to happen to get the same response from a bunch of different people, I feel like she maybe was like, am I going crazy? Like, are my reasoning or am I not explaining myself well enough? And I was like, wanted to be like, shake her and be like, no, I, like I'm, we hear you. We have your back. Right. And by the way, on a completely separate note for a second, clearly the way that Sonny was getting so upset with Drew over the last two episodes was absolutely dramatized and not really based in any sort of real feelings. Because if it was, and you really disagreed with the way that she lived her life in every regard, as you were saying, there's no way she'd be the one you were coming to about such a serious topic. I'm curious to see how this goes down and also like where her mindset is now at the reunion. And also as you learn more about these women, like she is really still becoming friends with them. So I feel like you have to take everyone's advice with a grain of salt because as you get to know them, you sort of see their faults and realize, oh, wait, like their advice or their opinion isn't the word of God. You know, they have their flaws too. Oh, completely. I also want to talk about this Marlo, Sheree and Candy thing because they're honestly my three favorites, so I mm-hmm. hate when they are fighting. But this was bullshit. I was so team candy on this particular one. Not to say that, you know, Sheree and Marlo don't have the right to feel like she was being a bad friend, but I need some more concrete examples because lightly worn, very expensive clothing and not calling about Tyrone when you never even told her directly, to me, that's not substantial enough. 
I just feel bad because I honestly can see both sides and I hate when people just use the excuse, well, that's just candy. But I really do feel like that's just candy. She's juggling a million things all the time and not to say everyone else isn't, but that's always been her personality. It's not like she was this super hands-on friend calling all the time and something switched. You got in a friendship with her. You know how she is. She's there. She's cool. She's supportive, but she's not the friend that's calling and texting all the time. She's not showing up for everything. Like, that's just her personality. And I felt like they were really trying to make a mountain out of a molehill here. And look, I understand Sheree is allowed to feel upset that she didn't show up for her and feel like you're not prioritizing us. And Marlo's allowed to feel certain ways. This just felt like super dramatic and almost like Marlo really wanted to cushion Sheree in this moment and just pile on on top of her complaints so that it was sort of the team. And then as that happened, they were like, oh, wait, 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 like, let's backtrack. We love candy. We love candy. We want to make this work. It was just a whirlwind of emotions in that one little sauna. Well, honestly, their reaction to Candy's reaction to me was the most telling thing. And I know in Sheree's confessional, she was like, listen, I just didn't want to see her like that. I kind of wanted to calm it. But I think that if they really felt so strong in their stance and genuinely felt like Candy was wronging them, they wouldn't have folded that quickly. We see how these women operate. They're housewives. You know, they know how to play this game, specifically Marlo and Sheree that have been at it for a long time. If they wanted to go in for the kill, they would have. I think seeing Candy's reaction, they realized this isn't necessarily the path that we want to go down. Right. I felt like they wanted to be hard on her and give her tough love, but they didn't want it to break her. And when they realized that they had been pushing too hard, they're like, oh, wait, no, 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 no. Like, this is not our intention here. Well, it's different when you're coming at someone for something kind of petty. And really what was happening here was more of like a genuine attack on her character. And that's not to delegitimize their feelings in terms of if she was being a bad friend. Like, that is subjective. That really is just in the eye of the beholder, the person that's on the receiving end of it. But I just felt like it was not substantial enough evidence or forget substantial. I didn't feel like it was meaningful enough things that they were coming her to. It really did feel like they were going through a checklist. And that's just, Candy is not the person you're going to pull that shit with. She's just not, you know, that's not what she's interested in. No. And I feel like that is the constant problem is that people feel like there's an unequal balance with Candy, that they give so much and whatever. But it's not Candy's fault that you go above and beyond and that's your way and that she just doesn't. Like she's doing the best that she knows how to. And obviously there's blind spots that she has or maybe things that she could be doing better. But I don't know. I think people always kind of have this moment where they're like, am I sucking up to Candy? Am I giving 100% and she's giving 20%? And they sort of want to check themselves. And almost, I felt like Marlo and Sheree both wanted to stand their ground and be like, we're not going to take this. You know, you're as you're equal to us. And I don't know. I just feel like people when they're friends with Candy have that moment of needing to like check in and say, no, we're equal. And it's like more for themselves than it has anything to do with Candy. Right. And I, and I do understand that the other thing though, is while this seemed honestly petty in the scheme of things. I'm telling you, in current day, Marlo and Candy are not on good terms. So somehow, some way, I don't know exactly how we got to this point, it really escalated to something that's legit. Yeah. I'm very curious if that happens on the show or if it's just underlying tensions that are clearly there on years of shit that's built up or if it's something that happens later or I don't know. But is really, it's really something. I'm really enjoying Atlanta. I think it's striking the perfect balance of shady and funny and like a funny group dynamic, but also legit drama. 
that doesn't feel super manufactured, which is something that Atlanta does far and beyond superior to any other franchise. It started a little slow. I won't lie to you. I mm-hmm. think that the start of the season was a little bit slow and now we're getting there. I honestly was really thinking about this while I was watching this episode. And I think this is a bold statement. I, I, I don't know if I stand by this, but it just came to my mind. Honestly, out of any single franchise, I think that while I may get serious entertainment value from watching Marlo and Kenya fight, I think it's one of my least favorite fighting dynamics that happened because I really do feel like their friendship is so legitimate. And then they go so hard at each other and it like randomly makes me sad. It's like the Karen Huger and Giselle effect. Yes. Not that they're friends, right? It's different, but I hate to see them fight, but I also love to see them fight. But it's also so fucking amazing when they're good because they're just a powerhouse duo. That was just the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, I I know. Like Vicky and Tamara, maybe. Yeah, it's not so dissimilar. I just feel like with Karen and Giselle, and obviously it is so different, it's shady and it's funny. And the moments when they hit really deep, they recognize it and they kind of backtrack, like specifically, you know, at the reunion they realize like the gloves came off and that's not a space that they want to go to. I feel like the difference with Marlo and Kenya is that sometimes the gloves really do come off and then there's genuine hurt there, which like, yeah, as housewives, I get it. I just feel like they are stronger together. I know. I just hate when there's damage done that can't be taken back ever. Although I don't know. I feel like at the end of the day, people are pretty forgiving. Like it stings for a while, but it's also part of being a housewife. It will be very funny at the reunion when they, of course, do some sort of a compilation of everyone's reactions throughout the season to drop it with Drew. Oh, God. Because I have to tell you, I think that this is one of the business endeavors that has been the least respected by a fellow cast. And that's saying something because there's been a lot of times where someone starts some shit or does a collab and everyone's kind of rolling their eyes. This one, it is a collective, not only eye roll, it's like they're all scoffing at it and honestly to her face. I mean, Kenya is not afraid to in front of Drew with the woman who owns the gym say, oh, so you own all these. Drew just put up her poster outside and she just put her name on. Like, no one gives a fuck. Literally, they're seeing Sheree, she by Sheree, which has been in the process for a decade and still has nothing out. They were pining over her water bottle and everything. They're down for she by Sheree way more than they are drop it with Drew. And I I just... It's going to be a really, really great reunion section. You're so right. If I was Drew, I would be like, listen, I'm not saying that this situation is perfect. I realize we have some issues we need to work out, but you cannot go harder for Shiba Shirei than you can for this because at least you're here. <laughs> at least we have a facility that something's happening in. I mean, Shirei right. she saved herself. In the 11th hour, she did. She came in and I'm telling you, she said, I have to go to this event with some sort of physical merchandise because how can I shit on this woman's brand when I don't even have a physical brand to represent? So that's why she had her, her shit there. But other than that, she she would have been screwed. I would say to the other women, call me when you have a physical pair of She by Sheree leggings on your legs and we will talk then. Her ass looked amazing. Amazing. Like, unreal. Like Teresa Judice. Yeah. For the it's love not of the yeah. leggings. It's not the right. leggings. You can't order those on Amazon. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. 
And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Okay, I am out on Diana and I know I came in strong. I liked her initially. I liked the extravagance. I still like the extravagance, but I don't give a shit. Her $250,000 Hermes is not at all making up for the situation that was occurring. You know it's bad and gone to a really dark place when even a photo of her trunk filled with her Birkin collection can't win us back. Yeah, no, I think, and I don't want to say because you never know, I think in this current moment, if you were to ask me if my opinion is going to change, I would say no. I just find that there is something slightly unkind about the way she acts and it's it's bothersome. There's shady, there's housewives fighting, but she is mean. And I guess... The counter argument to that would be like, well, Sutton was just as mean back in that conversation, but it's not even just that conversation. It's overall. And I think Sutton was just protecting herself. And also like we have not been Sutton fans by any means, but I felt like so on her side and rooting for her when they had that sit down conversation, because I think Diana, I mean, she admitted it herself. She doesn't do passive aggressive. She's just straight up aggressive. And I don't see any redeeming qualities as a housewife. And I also don't really see her bonding that much with any of the women. So it's like, what now? Why why, why even stick around? Exactly. To your point about Sutton, I'm not even a Sutton fan. And so that's why to me, I feel like I'm trusting my read on the situation because I know for a fact, I'm not just siding with Sutton. I pretty much never side with Sutton. This was Sutton's best episode, don't you think? A total, I mean, Sutton was on the defense here. Of course, she's going to have to fight back a little bit. This woman was coming at her. I mean, she held her own. Listen, Diana realistically was feeling still a little bit, I think, shocked and upset by Sutton coming for her in the moment, which is bold coming from a woman who says that she doesn't hold grudges because- clearly this grudge has been held. I mean, what happened at Garcelle's birthday party was a direct reaction to Sutton yelling at her at the dinner table in Mexico, which was objectively wrong, but it wasn't deserving of this. You don't come back, have time to sit on it, simmer, and then basically take someone into the other room and like want to rip their heart out. It was like, we got to take a second here. Right. Like Diana cannot let go of her conclusion that she doesn't like Sutton or think she's phony, which is fair. Like when you see things like the bacon eating vegetarian or when Sutton said to her, I hate yelling and then yelled at her. Fine. Those are things you take mental notes of and you say, okay, you know, I'm understanding who you are. Maybe you're not my cup of tea. Maybe you do sort of have like two sides to you, like a little Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. Fine. But it's not worthy of like ripping her apart and making her feel terrible and like a bad person and cutting her out of the group and just being so downright just awful. Well, the other thing I wanted to mention was the plane situation, which is so trivial in the scheme of things. And I understand there's a counter argument to be made of like, well, she's the one that chartered this plane. Why should she sit next to someone she doesn't want to sit next to for even an hour? But to me, it's like, really? That's just so mean, girl. It's so mean, girl. That's the thing. Is it worth it? 
Like, do you realize that, of course, it's going to come back to her that she didn't say that to anyone else? I mean, Dorit said, Diana said to me, sit wherever you want. It's like, why? Why is it worth it to you? Like that, I get it. You guys got didn't get along the night before, but it's so just not a big deal. And she has taken something like so small and such a petty, normal back and forth disagreement to like this insane place. Like, okay, she is giving Erica energy to Sutton and Erica and Sutton got in a bloodbath fight about legitimate life and Erica's finances and her divorce and Sutton's safety. Like, Fine. Honestly, as insane as it was, we felt it was kind of warranted, like the punishment fit the crime. This is like, what the fuck? Like you're really, really reaching here. I honestly think what happened in terms of the situation in Mexico, aside from the fact that, yes, I totally believe she was not her best self going on that trip in terms of how she felt medically and health-wise, and I'm sure on some level that contributed. But what I really think happened is that she has not been spoken to like that in a very long time because I'm sure the people she surrounds herself with not necessarily kiss up to her, but would never dare speak to her in the way that Sutton did. I mean, clearly, we don't need to get into this, but you can tell based on her relationship with Asher, I wouldn't say she's necessarily constantly surrounding herself with equals. And so I think being talked to like that, yes, of course, it's jarring no matter who you are. Sutton was wrong for that. But I think for Diana, it wasn't just like I felt personally upset. It was like, hold on nobody talks to me like that in a far more entitled way, in addition to just that it was rattling because she's a person. Like there, there's some more shit going on there. Don't you kind of think, or you think I'm alone in that? No, I think Diana felt it was an isolated thing, but it was also like, how dare you disrespect me? And now I will always remember that you disrespected me. It's like, if somebody wrongs the queen. Right. And on top of that, the thing that really cemented it for me is tonight on Watch What Happens Live, I'm not saying Garcelle can do no wrong. I get it. She's a human being. She fucks up just like the rest of us. But as far as housewives go, she's topped here. I mean, this woman is very rational and much more the kind of person you'd actually want to be friends with. And when Andy asked her tonight about Diana, without hesitation, she's like, she is fucking nuts. <laughs> you know? And like that reaction made me feel validated. I'm like, all right, if Garcelle thinks so, there's something going on here. Yeah, totally. And you could see that Kyle and Garcelle are processing this again another Kyle and Garcelle moment that we love to see when they went over sort of as the mediators of the conversation. Although it wasn't well-received slash they didn't do that much, I was just happy to see them have like a little bond moment. I feel like they're like our two friends that we really want to see hook up. Like, you know, when you do that, yes. like, oh, look in the corner, they're talking, like they're flirting. That's how I feel about Kyle and Garcelle. Like, I just want them to be best friends so badly. But <laughs> anyway, back on track. I just felt that they were both like, are you hearing this? Like, this is crazy. And I also felt a sense of pride from Garcelle. She said this also on Watch What Happens of Sutton really standing up for herself because in that moment, Diana saying, oh, you know, is she your bodyguard? Like, is she your mouthpiece kind of thing? Sutton did not need a mouthpiece. Like, for what it's worth, this was her best performance, like I said before. And she got mean, but she only was dealing exactly what was being thrown at her. 
Oh, for sure. She was just hitting right back in it in a very equal way. Wait, I'm sorry. I need to go back to that analogy for a second. That is hilarious. That's literally <laughs> how I feel about Kyle and Garcelle. They are. It's like when you're in high school and everybody knows that at this party tonight, you're going to get like those two people to hook up and you have them in the corner and everyone's talking about it and you're texting and there's like a BBM group chat happening. That is literally how I feel watching them. I fucking love them both. And I think that they would be such a power duo. You have two people who you think would really get along. They're two of your favorite people in the world and you just like want to make it happen and you want it to be a match like you want to be at the wedding and be like see told you guys you'd be a good pair kyle and garcelle i love so much they're two of my favorite housewives two of my favorite beverly hills housewives so i'm just begging for an allegiance because i know that there's something deep down that they would really get along and have so much fun together right and it feels like it's happening totally Totally. I love that. Wow. That's like one of my favorite things ever. Okay. I want to talk about Erica for a second. How do you feel about that? Oh God. What's going on with her? (laughs) I feel that we are going down a potentially dark path. And honestly, I'm not mad at her. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I find that she's being really entertaining. She's a little intense, as Garcelle said, like slow it down. But her intentions are good here. She's not trying to upset anyone. I really just think she's trying to have fun. But it's, it's, I don't know. It's slightly concerning where I feel we could be headed. I'm really torn because on one hand I am concerned and I feel like there's a lot of shit going on and this is all sort of a mask. Even put the drinking aside and put like the name dropping the prescription pills all aside. I just feel like there's so fucking much going on off camera and she's putting on this like happy go lucky front where, oh, I'm just doing my hair care line and I'm getting drunk and I'm having a lot of sex and that's all you need to know. You know, what, what lawsuit, what my husband's not in a fucking facility that I have to deal with. Like, what do you, like, I want to hear the real shit. And I know she gave us so much last year, but it really feels like there was no transition out of it, which is just unrealistic. And then The other side of me is like, Erica drunk is pretty fucking hilarious. And it's such a lighter, looser storyline than what we got. And I don't want to go back to that dark place. And when Erica's drinking, she's like her, but in a different form. But she does get, she does get a little intense, but I also think it's a little bit easier when she's drunk and it's less evil and more just passionate. Yes, it's passionate. It's passionate to the point where it can be slightly annoying, not even Mm -hmm. upsetting. But like if you're Garcelle, it's like, I get it. I understand what you're saying. Denise, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. All right. You don't need to make me feel like a fucking idiot on my own birthday. And and Erica was coming from a good place. It was so minor, but that's just one example. But stick with me for a second. Did you see the moment when she pulled the bartender aside and she's like, come on, just go against the rules. Do what you've been doing all night and make me a a margarita or whatever it was. Yes. Okay, I understand this was an isolated incident and she was just trying to persuade the bartender to get her the drink she wanted. However, that one moment was very interesting to me because you can almost take that and apply it to how she may be in a dating situation. Not that she would handle a situation the way she handled it with the bartender, but like that is the side of Erica that I'm sure was very similar to how she was in the initial courting days with Tom, kind of. Mm -hmm. And just like to... I don't know, to envision this this part of her. Yes, seductive, exactly. To use seduction as a power to get what she wants with men. And I'm not judging that. I'm just saying though, like clearly the bartender was not someone she was romantically interested in, but you can almost start to imagine her being like that with a potential love interest. Hey, you never know. Yeah, I agree. I think she has like an alluring 
very just, I don't know, like she has almost a sexy personality when she really turns it on. And I think that's how she got all these people to fall in love. Like she's a really good schmoozer. And you, that old school Erica, who was definitely going around at all these big wig dinner parties and events and swooning everybody came out in that moment. It was so weird. You're right. It was almost like old Erica, new Erica, like inner Erica, outer Erica. She's a lot of different sides to her, but I just felt like, you know, when you drink and you just like your ability to read the room and like match everyone else's energy is not there. That's what was happening to her. It was like her intentions were good and what she was saying was correct, but you just are not able to figure out everyone else's level. It's not there for her right now. (laughs) Yes. No, I know. I mean, on that same note though, Garcelle has gone so hard for Denise. She has repeatedly backed her up for no reason other than she wants to. Maybe there's a slight thing of wanting to like aggravate Rena, but really, she just goes hard for Denise because she believes her to be a good friend. And I was sad because I knew Denise wasn't going to show up. There was no world in which she came on camera after what happened last season. But it sucks that Garcelle genuinely was upset because she really did think so. I know that's what's annoying because I think maybe if they weren't filming, she would come. Even though the women were there, like it would be uncomfortable, but there's no fucking way she's showing up having her entrance filmed and then it being this whole thing and sit down conversation. No fucking way. For what? Like she knows she could just text Garcelle after and say that, but that's an annoying moment where I just really honestly thought that they would break the fourth wall because it felt so important. But of course they will at the reunion. It's just like, that's the thing. Like, hello, there's a big fucking elephant in the room, which is that she doesn't want to film the show. It was interesting. Actually, I heard Jill Zarin say that she was doing press for Ultimate Girls Trip that when Bethany came and they were filming at Bobby's funeral and they had that moment outside and the cameras were there or whatever, she she claims she didn't know about it, but she also says like she didn't get paid. There wasn't a contract. There wasn't anything involved. And I remember them using those clips so much to promote the season. Of course, like Jill Zarin and Bethany are back and reunited and they're having this conversation. And I almost feel like that's what would have happened with Denise here. Like the promo clips and the trailers and everything like Denise is back and like showing her walking in the party and the girls looking over at her and Rinna and blah, blah, blah. And the text, like you just know that that's what, what would have happened. And I don't think Denise is down for that at all in the slightest. Right. And, but my thing is I don't blame Denise for not wanting to, what I blame her for is the fact that she doesn't have the balls to just tell Garcelle, I'm not showing up. She makes Garcelle look like an idiot who's going around you know, telling all of her friends that she's definitely going to be there. And then she embarrasses her. And by the way, I really liked Denise last season, but that was our same issue with her, which is like in the way that you approach things, it's so non-confrontational that it comes across as slightly cowardly. Yeah. I was just going to say coward. It's like, you're not a coward, but she's just like, doesn't know how to confront things and thinks it's easier if it just disappears, goes away. She doesn't talk about it, but that always puts her friends or even herself in situations where it looks like you flaked or you were shitty when she could just communicate. Right. But yeah, exactly. When it only affects you, that's one thing. Fine. Do it all day. But this is for Garcelle. Like clearly it meant something to her. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that also my takeaway though, from watching this and also just from watching Garcelle and watch what happens is that the relationship never seemed to be as equal as Garcelle felt it to be, which is sad because Garcelle's a really good friend. You should feel really lucky to have her in your corner. And I don't think Denise ever really reciprocated that. No, I agree. Yeah. You know what we forgot to mention? What? (laughs) The the panty gate. 
oh my god, you can't just fucking drop Pantygate in front of Dorit and PK walks right over like, again, Erica's reader of the room, not there. But one of the funniest things is when they say pussy and then he walks over and Garcelle's like, oh, we were just talking right about you. you. <laughs> but he, he obviously doesn't know they were talking about Pantygate and to him, he thinks that they're saying he was a pussy. <laughs> no, 100%. But I just felt also in that moment, it was, you know, when you make a joke that like is a little too far and you know it's with someone who you can push the boundaries with and you can poke and tease, but you, you're trying to almost see how far you could go. And you're like, was that chill? Was that not chill? Are we going to be chill yeah. about that? You know? <laughs> yes. I feel like everyone, they weren't, but it's almost like they were a little bit all too high. And then they like look around <laughs> and they're like, oh shit, no, people are sober. You know what I mean? Right. Like, oh shit, that wasn't chill. Okay, cool, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, Let's yeah. move on right now. It was giving a little bit like us on an edible when we're trying to have an interaction with someone who's not like even when you're just like buying a water at a, a convenience store when the and, like, exterminator the came over oh my god no 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 <laughs> forget about it but yeah like it's it's like a, such a basic concept that you're just lacking like he's like do you do you want change i'm like fuck fuck do i want change do i want change you know like what's change yeah what is change <laughs> <laughs> yeah also we met sheree will smith's oh. fucking ex-wife love her instantly <laughs> instantly she's so good and i saw a tweet that was like she gave us more in five minutes than diana gave us all season and i can't say that that's wrong <laughs> my prayer is that she is on enough and has enough of a sort of like interwoven plot that she needs to be at the reunion because i just want to hear her say one thing about will smith and the slap and what's going on and like their life and everything being on red table talk like sign me up for that well, she's very connected to the family. I mean, I knew of her way before, you know, she was a friend of on Beverly Hills. She's very much, you know, still in their lives. And yeah. Garcelle's right when she says that her and Will in a lot of ways, I think, paved the path. A lot of famous people have spoken about that relationship in terms of the co-parenting of it as something that they find to be really admirable. Yeah. I hope we hear more about it. She's fucking interesting and cool. We will. She's open. You can tell. You know, she's mm -hmm. she's like very vulnerable. And I, that obviously makes for the best type of person on the show. Can't wait. I feel like this season is going to be part A, part B. And I kind of think we're slowly in the transition into B, where the old plots or kind of stories are still there and the relationships are still there. But we're moving on to new things now, new trips. We're getting Kathy Hilton. We're getting Cherie. Like, it's, it's a new chapter. Listen... We, we don't even know what's coming with the Kathy Hilton stuff. We'll, we'll it's see. Gonna it's going to be insane. It's going to, it has the potential to be insane. I mean, we'll see what they end up airing, but yeah, there, there's definitely potential there for it to be absolutely fucking wild. Wow. Anything else that you would like to mention about anything? I think that's it. Great week. I miss you already. Isabel's miss leaving. You guys. Isabel's leaving us. I still don't know uh, who we're gonna have next week. We got and so, we got so many <laughs> requests. Like I, I asked that just hoping people would give suggestions, but I did not expect it. And you saw the DMs. It's like I would say we got probably twenty names, like suggestions of people to take my spot. I know. I was like, should I be offended or like this is the most responses to any question we've ever got of who should take my place next week every single person would obviously rather have you it's just desperate times call for desperate measures so like yeah I, I can't be left solo yep it'll be great but i miss you guys already 
I miss you. And we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and for letting us do this. And we will be back. This is important. Obviously, next Monday is July 4th. So our regular episode will come out on Tuesday and then Kardashians Wednesday and then Bravo on Friday. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.